0: The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. I love that song. Don't you love that song? When death was arrested, we're free. We're free forever. Amen. So we're continuing our series together in Ephesians called Messy Church, and uh, church is messy because it's filled with real people, and real people are messy, and I think one of the reasons why we're a messy people is because sometimes we don't communicate well. Sometimes our expectations are different, they're a little off, and, and maybe maybe there's some sort of miscommunication. I have a friend of mine who, uh, maybe you have a friend like this who uh, you, you follow on Instagram or whatever, and, and and you get to see all of the incredible places in the world that they go to that you'll probably never ever, ever go to this is a, this is one of my friends. He's a he's a globe trotter. He's all over the place. He's just constantly in some place new, some place I've never heard of. And uh, he told me a really funny story that, that helped me kind of understand how, how our miscommunication sometimes can cause some messiness. He was in Germany uh, and he was studying there. It was it was an abroad program and, and he was studying in Germany. Or I'm not sorry, not Germany, in Austria. And he was in Austria and uh, and there are some American friends of his there. And they said, hey, you know what? Halloween's coming up next week. We're all going to be here. We should all get dressed up, you know, and kind of trick or treat in Austria, just kind of see what what that would look like. You know, we've never done something like that. So they ordered their costumes offline and and he ended up being a a werewolf. And so he got all dressed up like a werewolf and he got on the bus to go meet his friends. And so this bus is driving. And at every stop, he said, people would start to get on, they would see him and they would get off and they would just leave. He said a couple of times there were women who got on, didn't see him, looked up, screamed, and then ran off of the bus. Eventually the bus driver came up to him and asked him to step off of the bus and he couldn't understand what was going on. Well, he meets his friends later who are not in costume and uh, they had found out that Austrians don't wear costumes for Halloween. That is not something that they do. And so all of these people just thought that he was some crazy werewolf man who just happened to be riding the bus around Austria. And when he asked his friends, why didn't you tell me when you found out, why didn't you call me? And they said, because it's much funnier to see you here in the middle of Austria dressed as a werewolf. And so there's miscommunication there. There's misinformation there. And it caused a messy situation. And we have messy situations in our church. And I think a lot of the times we have these situations because we aren't on the same page about who we are as a church. We aren't on the same page about how we fit together as a church. And Ephesians has been helping us sort these things out. It's going to continue to help us sort these things out. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter two and part of chapter four. So go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter two. If you don't have a Bible, there might be some under your chairs. That's our gift to you. You can have that. You can take it with you. Or if you don't want it, you just want to use it this morning, you can do that. Follow along on your smartphones, whatever you got to do. Sit uncomfortably close to the person next to you, whatever you want to do. Last week, we started talking about having an identity crisis. We started talking about the fact that we need to understand who we are now in Jesus. And there's a lot of things that we talked about, but one of the main things we pulled out of it that kind of been the theme of this morning in our worship has been that we are children of God. That's who we are in Jesus. We are children of God. We have a, we have a relationship with a father. We, have, we are loved by him. We have an inheritance with him that's eternal and won't pass away. But this also means something else. We are a family. If we are all children of God, then that means that we are a family. We are now in the family of God. We were once outside of the family of God. We were once alienated from that. We were born outside of his family. We weren't in the commonwealth of Israel, but now that's all changed in Jesus. If you have a Bible there in Ephesians chapter two, we're going to begin in verse 11. Read this with me. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, but what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So it shows there that we have been brought near to God. We are now in the family of God. And whenever I think of the family of God, I think of my family. Whenever I think of my family, I think of family reunions. Anybody have family reunions? Anybody got family reunions? Anyone have one right now? No, okay. We have, we have family reunions. My um, my mother's side of the family, the McCaskill's, they've had family reunions much longer than I've been live, and and I have memory after memory after memory of growing up at these family reunions, and they're held where the family, kind of the center of the family is. Um, and that's in uh, Somerville, Tennessee. I said that wrong, Somerville, uh, Tennessee. And we always go out there to have our family reunions. And, and there's a lot that I've learned from my family about the family of God that I think the book of Ephesians will back up and will teach us as well. And so the first thing that I've learned about our family at these reunions is diversity. That's the first thing I've learned is diversity. Now now, although my family, we all share the same name, although we all share the same blood in some way, my family is still incredibly diverse. I mean, some of us look alike, but some of us don't. If you stick me next to some of my, um, next to some of my, my relatives, we make the number ten in our appearance, and so like we don 't all look alike and then also like there are different careers in my family. We have people in the military, we have nurses, we have people working uh, they're oil men, we have farmers, we have police officers, we have people in the FBI. All authors, artists, models, um, and one preacher, but he's a bum, you can't trust him. And so we also have, we have different politics. If you go to my family right now, some are gonna vote for the moron over here and some are gonna vote for the idiot over here, right? And so we can't, we don't all agree on our politics. Everybody offended, good. Okay, our hobbies are different; they're incredibly different. You know, when I when I go out there, what's what's the thing that you sit around and talk about? Small talk. Well, you talk about weather. Well, that doesn't last very long. You talk about sports, and then you talk about your hobbies, right? You talk about what you like to do, and there's and there's a lot of different hobbies. We've got some people that are incredible artists, incredible woodworkers. My my uncle just makes these incredible, th- like he just takes a, a a piece of wood, and then you're like, I, I, I want to see a bear, and then he makes a bear dancing on a on a uh, on a flower, like. he's just just this incredible artist and 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 there's a lot of hobbies I I don't necessarily relate to they're really different than me like my family there's a lot of hunters in my family and I I don't I don't I just wish I just want to be a part of the conversation but I've never hunted that's not that's not part of my 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 life that's just nothing I've done and so they sit there and they're telling all these hunting stories and I couldn't help it I want to be involved so I start I, I try to tell a story like I want to be involved so I go oh yeah well, I got a hunting story for you. It was, a really, it was really cold. Just, it was so cold, just chill, just, just bites you, you know what I mean? And, and I just had my rifle out, just I had him right in my sights. And just as I pulled the trigger, he, he moved and, and I missed and I hit a doe. It was really sad. I, I wish I hadn't hit a doe, a deer, a female deer, but I did. <laughs> I did and I felt really bad because she had a fawn with her and, um, But I think that fawn's going to be okay. You know, I noticed that the fawn happened to have a little rabbit friend. And uh, when he laughed, he would thump the ground with his foot really fast. And uh, and my uncle said, are you describing Bambi? Uh, I'll show myself out, sir. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, we're really diverse. Like, I, I don't share the same hobbies necessarily. We have a lot of different things going on. And our family's incredibly diverse. This is true of the family of God as well. We're incredibly diverse. This is his plan for his kingdom is diversity. Revelation 7, 9, one of my favorite verses says this, after this, I saw a vast crowd too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the lamb, they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. This is paradise, all right, guys, this is paradise. Everything has been brought to, to, to where it's supposed to be. We see all these people gathered around. John looks up, sees all these people gathered around. Now, how does he know they're from different nations? How does he know they're from different tribes? How does he know they have different languages? Is it because it's like the Olympics? They all hold a banner. They're all dressed alike. No, how in the world? There's something about their physical appearance that shows that they are different from one another. They're speaking different languages. He looks up in paradise and where everything is perfect and he sees diversity. He sees diversity all over the place. This is God's plan for us. Our diversity doesn't disappear in Jesus. Look at Ephesians 2. We just read, we read about different people from different cultures and different races. These are two different races and they're incredibly different. Their language was different. If you look in the gospel of Mark, Mark uh, transliterates all kinds of Hebrew expressions and Hebrew sayings into Greek for his Gentile audience, he's saying, Look, I know that our languages are different. And so, so we see that their languages are different. They have different, uh, different sayings, different traditions. Their entertainment choices were different. The, the Jewish historian Josephus described the presence of theaters in Jewish cities like Jerusalem and Jericho as problematic because he said, quote, They were opposite to the Jewish custom. So they didn't go, they didn't hang out in the same places. They didn't enjoy the same entertainment. They had different customs. Their meal practices were different. They had a tradition of hating one another. They were incredibly, incredibly different, incredibly diverse. And Paul said in Ephesians two sixteen, what does it say there? that God might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. His plan is to not make us all alike. His plan is to unite us all in Jesus, diverse as we are to unite us all in Jesus. There's incredible diversity in the body of God. And you can see it now. If you look in the church all over the world, the liturgical worship that's happening in Germany right now is completely different than the dancing and the open celebration happening in Ghana right now in japan do you know that many of our brothers and sisters when they worship when they set up the room you see all of our chairs are facing this way you're facing the ugliest guy in the room do you see that how that's working out in japan most of their chairs are facing one another so that as they worship they're worshiping together as they're listening to the sermon as they're learning from the word of god they're worshiping and learning together We're incredibly different. You look in this room, there's differences in this room. We come from different places. We have different backgrounds. We have different hobbies. There's somebody in here who loves beekeeping, right? They love beekeeping and and, and harvesting honey and all these different things. And we have people in here who like to fight amateur MMA. All right, I'll give you a clue who it is. No, not me. All right, but, but we've got completely different hobbies and different peoples. We have different preferences. And this is incredibly this, this is the family of God, this is his design to make us diverse, and there should be diversity within the people of God, within our church. This is something to embrace. it should break our hearts when our communities are more diverse than our churches, because this is the kingdom of God, this is his plan not to make us all alike, but to make but to embrace our diversity and to make us all one and that's that's the incredible thing there, and that's the thing that, that, that we need to talk about because diversity is only half the solution. It's only half the answer to the question. Because what good is diversity for diversity's sake? I mean, if you go into the DMV tomorrow, you will see diversity. How good is that working for them? If you go into Walmart and you see all the people around there, you will see diversity. There are not two people alike in Walmart, right? Am I right? But does that mean that that's always a good thing? There's a reason God made target, right? It's not always a good thing. Diversity, diversity without unity isn't serving God's purpose. And so that's the big lesson here. That's the other thing I've learned from my family is is unity is unity. Diversity does not necessarily equal division. We think that because we're different, we've got to segregate ourselves. We've got to be away from one another. We've got to stick with people who are just like us, but that's not true. With a successful and diverse family, there is unity. Family reunions, maybe you have them. Maybe you've been to bad ones. They can be terrible. I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and we were talking about Thanksgiving and Christmas and what our plans were with our families. And and he said, plans with my family? Oh, no, 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 no. That's kind of our gift to one another is that we won't be around each other. We won't ruin the holidays for each other because every time they're together, they let their differences, they let their diversity divide them and they start to argue and they start to fight over what makes them different and they're not united. But you know, a united and diverse family is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Number one, it's a picture of heaven, but it's also, it's just a beautiful thing to behold. You know, that's one of the things about Um, my family, about the family reunions out in Somerville with the McCaskills is that although they're very different for me, you know, there's a period of my life I didn't go to them for a long time. You know, I was a kid, I'm just dumb. You know, I'm making, there are other priorities I'm putting up over going to these things and I get in college and I move away and all this stuff. But then I have kids and I wanna bring my kids to the family reunion. I want them to meet all of these people. And you know, what's incredible is that I didn't walk in with my kids and they immediately were like, oh, well, look who's here. You know, like the guy who shot Bambi's mom. Like they don't immediately just ostracize me. Instead, they've embraced us, and we're unified. There's unity, even though we're incredibly different. And you know, I've experienced that in my wife's family as well. My my wife comes from a very, very large um, Italian family up in Ohio, and when I went up there, I didn't necessarily. Fit in. I was. Uh, let's say there was a little bit of diversity there. They're a very um, traditionally Catholic family. Their culture's incredibly different. Everything they ate had to be Italian in some way. I've never eaten that much lasagna in my life. Um, like, what do you want for breakfast? I'd like frosted flakes. Well, you're getting lasagna. Like that was just. It's. It was incredibly different. And but immediately when I was there, there was unity. I was family. Like I was accepted. There was unity. I was different but it was you know it was like olive garden when you're here your family and there's unlimited breadsticks like that was that was my experience there and it was it was beautiful it was a beautiful thing and our unity in our diversity is a beautiful thing so why is our unity so important though why is it important look at Ephesians 2 look at verse 19 we're going to start reading there So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Look at verse 22 again. Let me say it one more time. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Our unity is important because the Spirit of God is present, powerful, and active among united people. The spirit of God is present, powerful, and active among united people. I mean, think about all that he does when we're unified. He grows us when we're united. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, it says, so Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity and faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Our unity enables us us to serve one another and help one another mature in our faith mature in our beliefs you know this this past uh, several months uh, one of the one of the most rewarding things I've ever been able to experience it really anywhere but especially in this church has been uh, I've been meeting with with some elders every Wednesday and we were going through this this study this this thing called um, series 33 authentic manhood and we've been going through this study together and it was incredibly rewarding you know there were there were three or four completely different generations sitting there at the table, um, and and as we got to share with one another, although we were different, God used our diversity to help one another. God used our diversity to grow us. I needed to hear from the man in his mid fifties about what his marriage was like when he was my age. I needed to hear about the man who's retired about what it what it's like to look towards that finish line. I needed to hear those things. Those things grew me. Those things pulled some things out of me. The spirit of God used our diversity because we were united to grow my faith, to mature my faith. And not only that, he uses our unity to display himself to the world. John seventeen twenty three. This is Jesus speaking, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Our unity in our diversity is a testimony to the world that our God is at work. It's a testimony to our world that Jesus is who he says he is and he is doing a work in us. Think about it. Think about it. if people come in this room and they see uh, uh, older people with with their traditions and younger people with their traditions and their preferences, putting all of those aside and coming together and worshiping together and eating meals together and having relationships and being concerned for one another and providing for one another. What does that do? That displays something bigger than ourselves because that's something bigger than ourselves to make that happen. That displays that there is a supernatural work going on. When our churches will, will... will step out of their comfort zones and sometimes get over themselves and our churches in the city of Memphis begin to unify and tackle racism together. What are we gonna display to people? We're gonna display that something bigger than anything else we've seen in our culture is going on here. Something bigger than these people is at work here. There's something supernatural here. There's a power outside of them at work here. And that's what our unity does. Our unity uh, it displays Jesus. Our unity among our diversity displays Jesus because the spirit of God is present, powerful, and active among united people. One of the greatest examples of that is in Acts chapter two. We see a united people, a people of, uh, from all different backgrounds, from different races, from different cultures. They're completely united. And look at what God does for them. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and the prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved." The spirit of God was present and active and powerful in their unity. And what happened? Miracles happened. Needs were met. They were filled with joy and people were saved. What do you want out of this church? I wanna see miracles happen. I wanna see needs met. I wanna see, I wanna see deep care and concern for one another. I wanna see our joy overflow. I wanna see people get saved. How do we do that? unity. We've got to be united. Unity in our diversity is incredibly important because a church that's divided is a dead church. A church that's divided lacks the power of God and is a dead church. That's why, look at Ephesians 4, look at verse 3. That's why it says this here. If you, if you underline your Bible, if, you, if you're cool with that, I would, I'd encourage you to do that or highlight it in your phone, tweet it out, whatever. Get this verse, Ephesians 4, 3. Be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That word eager, it literally means fervent or diligent or or passionate. And to be diligent about something means that it's a top priority for you, right? I've got, I've got four kids and, and I'm diligent about their protection. I'm diligent about keeping them safe. Anytime I, I enter a room, immediately my mind is going, what could potentially kill these kids, right? Like what potentially are they gonna try to put in their mouths? Immediately, you're just, I'm diligent about it. Before anyone else is talking to me or maybe they are, I'm not listening. I'm just looking around, are my kids okay? Are they safe? My wife, she's constantly, you might see her do this. You might, if you, if you watch her hand, you might see her tap her leg. You know why she's doing that? She's counting. She's going one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. She's doing that the whole time. If you see her in the sanctuary, she's absolutely doing that. That is not a joke. She does that. She's constantly counting. She's diligent about her children's safety. It's a priority. To be diligent about something is to make it a priority. And our unity, according to Ephesians chapter four, we should be diligent in protecting our unity. It should be a priority. So what we have to ask ourselves this question, do we often think of our unity as a priority? Is it often in the forefront of our minds? When we speak or act within the church, do we normally consider the effect it will have on the unity and peace within the church? Or do we just think about ourselves? Or do we just think about this issue at hand? Or do we think about whatever? Is unity something that we think about? Are we diligent about protecting it? It should be. It should always be on our mind. When we express our opinions, when we participate in programs, when we're listening to someone else talk about the church, when we when we think about relationships we have within the church or relationships we should have within the church, we should always be thinking about uh, how this affects the unity and the peace within our church. It's important. That's where the power of God. That's where the power of God works is in the unity of His people together. So, how do we protect it? How do we protect it? Well, one, know what's primary know what's primary primary issues are issues with no room for compromise because they're the basis of your unity without these issues your unity crumbles that's the whole reason you're together these are primary issues secondary issues are issues that though they might be important they aren't primary primary they're not at the core of your unity And one of the reasons why our unity is attacked and one of the reasons why our unity crumbles is when we take secondary issues and we elevate them to primary issues. We take secondary issues, issues that these are not the reasons God called us together. These are not the reasons that we find our identity as children of God. These things, we take these things and we elevate them to the primary. And we say, if you don't agree with me on this, then we can't be one. And that's wrong. I mean, for example, you think about our family reunion. At the core of our unity within our family is one simple thing. We are family. You and I are, are bound together. We come from a legacy and a tradition of family that loves and cares for one another. We're gonna continue that. We are family. That's primary. That we're not gonna compromise on. That is it. That is, that's, that's where we're gonna draw the line. Everything else is secondary. Though it might be important, it's not primary, it's secondary. And so let's say my politics are different than, I don't know, my uncle's. So let's pick my uncle out of, the, out of the mix. That's not a problem because why? That's secondary. We can argue on that. We can agree to disagree on that. It doesn't affect the primary. What's called us together is that we are family. It's not touching that. Let's leave it there. But what if I make it primary? What if I come to my family and I say, if you, here's my ballot. I took a picture of it like Justin Timberlake and now I'm in a lot of trouble, but here is my ballot. If your ballot doesn't look like mine, we can no longer break bread together. Like what would happen? We divide and it'd be silly. It'd be heartbreaking. It'd be a tragedy. Why? Because I've taken a secondary issue and I've made it primary. This is not what called us together in the first place. This is not at the core of our unity. This isn't our identity. It's secondary. It's secondary. And we do the same thing in our churches. We take secondary issues and we make them primary. Our preference in music, it's important. Therefore, I'm gonna make it primary and we divide over it. Our political preference its important. Therefore, I'm gonna make it primary and we divide over it. Our belief on theological ideas like Calvinism and Arminianism and all the other isms you can think about, it's important. Therefore, I'm gonna make it primary and we divide over it. And what you believe about the end times, that's important. I'm gonna make it primary and we divide over it. Church traditions that we enjoy that so-and-so gave us and my grandpa did this and we all do this. And this is what I like to do around Christmas. It's important, it's primary and we divide over it. And it's, it's a tragedy. And so Paul makes it really clear what is primary and what is not. Here it is in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. There's one body, one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is primary. This is where we don't compromise. One body, one spirit, one faith, one baptism, one Lord, one God, one father over all. This is where we don't divide. This is where we are not diverse. This is where we are one. We are diverse. And that means that there are a million secondary issues out there. There are a million secondary issues. If you were to look right now, like look, look up here on stage and you see the way that I'm dressed. Now look at my father. My father looks like Dapper Dan over here, right? Wearing a suit, just got, just dressed to the nines, right? We are diverse. The way that I dress is important to me. The way that he dresses is important to him. It's Secondary. Like so many other millions of things, it's secondary. We were talking this week, Christian and I were talking this week about music, and uh, we were we were singing a or he was trying to sing this this old song, the song that that used to be sung here at this church when you would shake hands. When I when I started to think about family of God, it makes me think about this chorus we used to sing, this Bill Gaither chorus at Bellevue. Whenever we'd shake hands, we'd always sing, "I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God." Right, like. Now listen, that is burned in my brain because my parents are bad parents. So I'm just kidding. No, that is, that's burned in my brain after hearing that over and over and over again. But I'll tell you what, when I get in my car and I get my, my phone out and I'm picking music, um, that is not on my playlist. That is not on my phone. If I could delete it off the internet, I would, all right? But if you like it, then fine. Like these are secondary issues. And for us to promote them to primary completely destroys our unity. That's not, what de- that's not what God called us to. It completely destroys our unity. And you know what happens then? We lose the spirit of God among us. We lose his power. We lose him being active among us. We have to protect our unity. And we do that number one by knowing what's primary. And we have gotta be careful with that. The second way we protect our unity is through the way we walk Look at Ephesians 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're to walk in this way. We're to live in this way. Everything we do is to be marked by humility, gentleness, patience, and endurance, Every interaction we have with one another is to be marked by humility, gentleness, patience, endurance. Every conflict is to be marked by humility, gentleness, patience, endurance. Think about your conversations this morning. Maybe you came to Sunday school. Maybe you got here at 930. Maybe you got here even earlier than that. Think about all the conversations you had. They are to be marked by humility, gentleness, patience, endurance. Let's get a little bit more difficult. Let's let's crank the, the difficulty knob up a little bit. Think about the last conflict you had in the church. Think about the last time you got in an argument with somebody. Think about the last time you disagreed with somebody. Those moments are to be marked by humility, gentleness, patience, and endurance. And if the answer, if, 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 if it's not marked by those things, our unity's in danger. The Spirit of God in our church moving is in danger. Why don't we talk this way in the church? Why don't we act this way in the church? Why aren't all of the ways we interact with one another marked by these four things? Well, I can't answer that for you, but I can answer it for Grant. Why? Why When, when, when I have a conflict, why isn't every conflict I have, why isn't marked by I'm, I'm humble with them, I'm gentle with them, I'm patient, I endure, I bear their burdens. Well, why isn't that always the mark of me? I think two reasons. One, because to walk this way requires God's power and too often, I just try to do it by myself. Like I know people, I know you, I know this church, I know what's right, I know what I need to do. And I'm not desperate for God's power. I'm not asking for God to come through for me. I'm not asking for him to work. I'm gonna figure it out on my own. And to walk this way, requires the power of God. So to protect our unity, we must be a people desperate for God's power, daily seeking God's power. We must be a people who anytime we in encounter a disagreement or an argument or, or, or a conflict, we immediately run to God for the solution because to walk this way requires God's power. We can't do this. And the second reason why is because to walk this way requires sacrifice. Look at humility, that costs what I want. That costs me to consider you as more important than me and to consider what you need as more important than what I need. That costs me. I don't wanna pay that cost. Think about gentleness. That costs me time and energy and and what I wanna say. I mean, that's incredible consideration to think about how you're gonna hear it or how you're gonna take it. That costs you. I think about the way I have to talk to my kids and and gentleness looks different. Like, Like with my boys, if my voice isn't raised, it's like they can't hear it. It just doesn't register. Like if I'm just, hey, boys, stop, 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 stop. Like I, it doesn't matter, right? Like that's nothing like that, but stop. Like that right there is, oh, Dad, serious now, right? Like that clicks with him. My daughter, if I raise my voice to my daughter, oh my, oh my goodness, right? Like it would be, oh my goodness. She just, if I ever Piper Grace, that's pretty much all I have to do. Hey, Piper Grace, stop. Yes, daddy. No, no, she doesn't do that. But if I raise my voice to her, Piper Grace. Oh, she just melts, right? She is, she turns into Lot's wife. She is just a pillar of salt. Like she just, she just, no, like she just, it just destroys her and it doesn't, it's not helpful. It doesn't help her at all. It just hurts her. And so I have to be considerate and it would be, it's just so easy for me to just yell and just say, stop doing that. But I can't talk to my daughter that way. It's not gentle. She won't take it. It's not helpful. Well, that, that costs me something that costs me time. That that costs me the way I want to say things. It's it's difficult. I don't want to always be considerate and think about the way you're going to have to hear it, but it requires sacrifice. Patience and bearing with one another that costs you your comfort. I mean, think about that bearing with one another. You never say I, I bear with something that I enjoy, like, if my wife and I go to a movie and it's a movie I want to see, I don't say that I, I'm bearing with Angela and I'm going to see uh, The Expendables 8 or whatever, right? Like, no, I want to see all these old guys kill each other. Like, I'm down for that. But like, absolutely, if I, if, she, if I have to go to a movie she wants to see, like The Notebook 2, Look Who's Dying Now, like that right there, that is I'm bearing with her, right? I don't want to be there. I don't want to be at that movie, and so look at this. It says that, some people like that. Some people back there really like the noble. Okay. It's, it's, it's again, it's about that sacrifice of your comfort, bearing with one another, like being patient with one another. That's a sacrifice. I have to sacrifice my comfort. And if we wanna see God's power move through this church, then we have to be ready. No, no, no. If we wanna see God's power move through this church, then we have to be regularly sacrificing for one another, regularly sacrificing for one another, to have all of our interactions marked by humility and gentleness and patience and endurance, and we'll see God's power. So I want to a close. I'm gonna ask the band to come back up. We're gonna sing a couple more songs together. But our unity and our diversity, it's incredibly important again, because the spirit of God is present, powerful and active among a united people. And I hope that we leave here thinking about, maybe for the first time for some of us. I know I didn't really think about this a lot until until like studying this. I was like, man, I, I don't think enough about how I affect the unity of the church. I don't think about how enough about about how I affect the peace within the the church so think about that is your effect positive or negative on the unity and peace of the church are you being diligent in protecting it is it a priority for you that we're united that we aren't divided that we aren't promoting secondary things to primary levels are you marked by humility and gentleness and patience and endurance when dealing with difficult things and difficult people within the church and maybe some of you aren't united to other believers because you haven't tried. Maybe today is a day where you need to reach out and you need to get connected to people, get connected to people here. Maybe you need to get connected in service. We got hallow him tomorrow. We'd love to have you come serve with us. Maybe you need to get in a Bible study or Sunday school or, or I, I don't know, but maybe you need to reach out and get connected because you understand that the, the power of God is in his united people. And maybe, maybe there are those of you in here who forget being united to people, you need to be united to God. You know who you are, you know where you come from. You know that, that you are separated right now. You don't know, maybe you don't have all the language, maybe you can't quote the scripture, but, but you know it's true. You know that you're separated from God. That the things that you've done, your sin has separated you from him. I would say to you, that's exactly right. But we're here today because there's good news. The God of the universe, he saw us being separated from him and he said, no. And he sent his son, Jesus, and Jesus took our sin on himself, on the cross, paid our penalty for our sin. All of the judgment that you deserve for your sin, Jesus took it on himself so that today you can be forgiven. That today you can be united with him you can have a new life. Would you pray with me? If that's you today, if I just described exactly where you're coming from and who you are, that you say, that's me. I need to be forgiven. I need a new life. I wanna follow God. I wanna be a part of that family. I wanna know that I'm loved and that I'm forgiven. I mean, the Bible's clear. You know who's welcome to come to God? Whosoever will. Let me say it differently. Whoever wants to. That's the amazing thing about our God. He's accessible. Whoever wants to. If that's you, I want you to pray a prayer with me. You don't have to say the exact words, but just, just express your heart back to God, all right? And the quietness of your heart and mind, you don't have to say it out loud, but just, just say something like this to him. God, I'm sorry. I've lived my own way. I've made mistake after mistake. I have sinned. God, forgive me. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose again. And so, God, forgive me. Give me a fresh start. Come into my life. You're in charge. I'm following you. From here on out, I belong to you. Save me. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.